Hello and welcome to Instant Transmission, a podcast where we discuss everything Dragon Ball and how death really isn't that big of a deal. Tonight in episode 8, we'll be wrapping up the Universe 6 story arc with episodes 38 through 46. So if you haven't listened to episode 7, then you might want to check that out. I'm your host, Dayton, and once again, I'm joined by my co-host, Todd. Hi! And just to set the stage before we get started, why don't you get, give us a quick recap of the last episode and where we left off. Absolutely. Last time on Instant Transmission, Dayton and I covered the first half of the Universe 6 arc, where we are introduced to Champa, Beerus's brother, and the god of destruction for Universe 6. Beerus and Champa decide to hold a tournament, putting Universe 7's Earth on the line, along with six of the Super Dragon Balls currently in Champa's possession. Goku and Vegeta put together their team with Majin Buu, Piccolo, and Beerus's ace in the hole, Monaka. Goku beats Universe 6's first competitor, Botamo, or Winnie the Pooh, mm-hmm. by tossing him out of the ring. Frost beats Goku and Piccolo by cheating with poison. Vegeta jumps in the ring to beat Frost, Magetta, and Kaba, with little effort wasted on these Universe 6 combatants. And that brings us to today's episode, starting off with Vegeta versus Hit. Yeah, and I think that leads us right into uh, episode 38, which is called Universe's, Universe 6's Strongest Warrior, Meet the Assassin, Hit. And we're finally about to see, uh, I guess, the best fighter in Universe 6 finally face off against Vegeta, who's just been, I guess, pummeling everything in front of him. Yeah, Vegeta's just knocking him out. He's gone through four of the fighters in Universe 6 out of the, or I'm sorry, three out of the five uh, with Goku beating the fourth with Botamo. But uh, hits their last fighter on Universe 6. He's kind of the, I mean, he's Champa's ace in the hole here, apparently. And right off the bat, Vegeta does a quick uh, a size-up on hit, and he makes a comment to himself that uh, his not only is his guard stance perfect, but his energy is honed and sharp as a knife. So right off the bat, if Vegeta's even giving this guy credit, you know he's serious. Absolutely. I thought that was a fun comment. It also was funny to me how Vegeta initially says out loud to hit, you shouldn't use that narrow of a stance and then changes his mind. He's like, oh, uh, he's just guarded. Like, I can't. It's hard for me to even approach him right now. Yeah, I, I really like that big change in, I guess, the way that Vegeta's treating this fight. It went from just another fight, another person he was going to knock out to, wait, hold on, I got to reevaluate this guy. Like, there's a lot going on here. Yeah, absolutely. And Vegeta, before the fight starts, is in base form and just immediately goes Super Saiyan Blue for this fight. So he knows that hit is no joke here, too. I also wish more fights would start out with uh, fighters powering up to max level because I feel like it would save me a lot of time. So I really appreciate that. Nah, nah. <laughs> I mean, we got to dark around in base form for an episode or two before the real fight starts. <laughs> I get I mean, it. All right, you win. That Winnie the Pooh fight wouldn't have been any fun if he went Super Saiyan Blue in the first three <laughs> seconds. So. It's a good thing I always forget that they have higher forms during every fight. Otherwise, I would be a little <laughs> irritated. Yeah, yeah, I don't blame you. Uh, but this fight is interesting. It starts off with, I mean, Vegeta basically says, you know, I got to go in somehow, despite this guy's perfect guard. And he just gets clocked. He doesn't see it coming. He doesn't know what happened. He just gets punched right in the face. Yeah, and these attacks are 
right now they just seem so fast that no one can even follow them. It's just one moment hits there, and the next moment Vegeta's just taking hits and falling to the ground, and no one knows what's going on. Yeah, yeah. It even gets to a point after they've been fighting for a little while where Balma yells out, Vegeta, what's happening? You're just flying around. The guy's not even moving, uh, which is an interesting tell as to how Hit is fighting in this battle. Yeah, and uh, the fight, while very brief at the start of it, it's all one way. Vegeta's not landing a single blow, and he's being knocked to the ground and having to pull himself up. Like, these attacks hitting Vegeta, they're hitting him hard, and he really has no response to them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you can tell a lot of them are, Hit's basically using, like, he's got one knuckle out with his index finger, so they're really pinpoint precision attacks. And I think we eventually are told that Hit's attacking Vegeta's vital points uh, and trying to take him out that way. And I believe after being knocked to his knees and pulling himself back up, Vegeta goes for kind of a, I guess, a desperate move at this point because he's he's pretty much out of options and he actually allows Hit to land a blow on him. Yeah, yeah. And he does so... I mean, Vegeta's... Vegeta's a smart fighter, so his goal here is to take this blow and then grab Hit. He lashes onto his arm and says something to the effect of, I've taken away your advantage. Like, your advantage is speed, and now, you know, what are you going to do now that I've got a hold of you? And to me, this seemed like a great moment. This was the, you know, I'll take a hit to get a hold of you sort of thing, and uh, it didn't exactly work out the way I, I thought it was going to, at least the first time I saw it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. And, I mean, Vegeta is kind of the go-to fall guy for Goku, but uh, that's basically what we get here. Hit more or less... Uh, punches Vegeta right in the gut. Vegeta just doesn't see it coming, even while holding on to Hit's hand. And this knocks Vegeta out of Super Saiyan Blue. Like, he's he's pretty much done for in this moment. I think that is the actual knockout as well. I believe so as well. And this is... I mean, it seems like we went over this fight really quickly, but this was a very fast fight. It was only a few exchanges before Hit was able to take out Super Saiyan Blue Vegeta. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's impressive. Uh, there's there's a little bit of dialogue talking about, you know, how hits an assassin and they call him like one shot hit and all this stuff uh, or never miss hit. I'm sorry. And. I mean, he he kind of lives up to, to his name here. He actually compliments Vegeta, though, saying that Vegeta is the only person to take that many of hits attacks and still live through it. Which, I mean, I suppose it's a compliment to Vegeta, but at the same time, I think that really tells you what level Hit's fighting on. And, you know, the next person that we're sending in after Vegeta isn't, as far as I've seen, that much more powerful than Vegeta. So if the level is that different, like, I'd be looking at this fight thinking, oh, man, I don't know how they're going to do this. (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because at least what we're led to believe is that Goku and Vegeta... I mean, Goku is usually believed to be a little bit stronger, but not that much. They're both Super Saiyan Blue. I mean, they're they're pretty comparable, at least. Yeah, they're they're kind of in the same ballpark, but this, this fight between Vegeta and Hit wasn't even close. Vegeta hardly landed a blow on Hit at all. <laughs> I don't think he did at all. I don't yeah, think he I did think... either, yeah. I, the best thing he got was grabbing onto Hit's arm. <laughs> At least he Which, touched him. 
Yeah, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's something. But, but uh, uh, I believe at this point Vegeta's defeated, and we actually get a, a side character who kind of lets the group in on some pretty important information after watching this fight take place. And it was uh, Squid King, right? That's his name. Yeah, Squid King. <laughs> the Galactic King, yes. <laughs> yes. Uh the Galactic King uh reveals to I guess the the Z fighters that he's heard of a move similar to this and he believes it's something called time skipping. Right. And we kind of get Jocko giving his two cents here too because we've learned that Jocko has really good eyes and so Goku is surprised that Jocko can't see hits attacks. And that's kind of what leads to the the Galactic King's hypothesis about this uh, this time skipping technique. And so this is at least giving Goku some insight into how Hit fights, and that's going to kind of lead us into how this fight is going to progress. Yeah, and uh, it's it's important because Goku is now going into this fight with some idea as to what he's up against, whereas Vegeta went in completely blind. And on top of that, Hit got to watch him fight for several rounds. So he's Hit's already studied up his opponent. Right now, we're still in the figuring it out phases for RZ fighters. Right, absolutely. And I think Goku even asked Vegeta for any tips, and Vegeta says something along the lines of, don't lose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's not exactly helpful. Yeah. And so we basically get the the match starting here with Goku against Hit. And Goku's just starting out in base form, unlike Vegeta, which is uh, an interesting choice. Uh, maybe a dangerous choice. Yeah, and uh, there's a little bit of a dialogue exchange between the two before the match begins. And at this point, we get the reveal that Hit is around a thousand years old. Right. And I, it's kind of a fun exchange because he calls Goku young without knowing how old he is. And Goku, you know, talks about being a grandpa and it's like, yeah, whatever. I'm a thousand. <laughs> <laughs> and so, gosh, I can't even imagine how strong Vegeta or Goku or any of the Z fighters could become if they had a thousand years to, you know, hone their craft. You know, this is actually a pretty fun parallel to me to... It's a bit of a filler episode, but where Goku is dead in the other world after the Cell Saga, where he fights Pycon. I think both Pycon and Alibu uh, were had been in the other world for around a thousand years or something to that effect. Just a long, long time. And Goku was still on par with them. So, Just eternally fighting. But at the same time, I think uh, if you don't have any goals to hit or any strong opponents to push you, you probably would plateau out at some point. Yeah. And I mean, that's <laughs> the interesting part is that's kind of the 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 storyline or the plot device that we're getting with Manaka in this tournament, too, which is. <laughs> oh, yeah, uh... <laughs> that's right. Because actually, I think it's revealed just before Goku sets into the ring uh, what the whole plan behind Manaka is. Yeah. And we get a little bit of dialogue between, I think, Beerus, Whis and Piccolo kind of listens in on. Um and so they they reveal a little bit about Monaka not being very strong. <laughs> yeah, he's just kind of just kind of a device to keep uh, Goku motivated. Exactly. Yeah, got to keep Goku and Vegeta on track and getting stronger. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I love that. I actually do kind of like that. I guess that plan to keep Goku motivated and pushing himself because I think up till this point there was 
nobody really. It was, I guess, motivation to fight Beerus again or to stay ahead of Vegeta. But at the same time, that's kind of been one of his motivational factors for so long at this point that it probably doesn't matter as much as having the next big thing. Right. Absolutely. Something new to excite him for sure. But that kind of leads us into this fight where Goku basically just dives in and he's taking a number of hits, just kind of trying to feel hit out. And uh, he's getting beat up the first few exchanges. Yeah, he's staying in his normal base form and he's losing the fight pretty clearly. But I don't know, just in typical Goku fashion, he keeps stepping back up and taking more blows and kind of jumping and dancing around hit and trying to pry for weaknesses and openings. Right. And we basically, I think we see Hit land a, about three or four attacks on Goku before Goku reveals that he's got a little bit of a hint into what uh, Hit's battle plan is. Yeah, which is really interesting because if if it's time skip, my initial thought was, how the heck do you fight somebody who can travel through time in like a moment without really any notice or I, I don't see a downside there, but... You know, Goku's kind of a savant, and he, if there's a downside, he's going to figure it out. Yeah, and that's actually what makes this fight really interesting, is that Goku reveals on, uh, as he goes in, he blocks Hit's attack, and delivers a little bit of a counterattack even, and Goku then reveals that he's basically watched Hit's fighting style, and he's just predicting where Hit is going to attack Goku, and then defending their before the attack even comes in. Which I thought that's freaking nuts because you basically have to have perfect prediction. Otherwise you're, you're going to lose or you're going to take big hits, but that's pretty, it is pretty part and parcel for how Goku always has been. He can figure something out in two seconds. And so that that's Goku's, I guess, answer to everything is just being really, really good at fighting. Absolutely. I really like this. I like that this involves tactics. It's not just about who's stronger. This actually really feels to me like a harken back to the original Dragon Ball days where the fights were a lot more about martial arts tactics, studying your opponent. I really enjoy what they do with this fight. It's it's definitely interesting. It keeps my attention. And I like that. It, like you said, it's it's not just the same, I guess, tactic being used against each other it's not just brute strength versus brute strength and whoever has the most wins it's somebody who's i guess at the top level of fighting and martial arts versus somebody who can manipulate time and 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 catch people catches people off guard somebody who is kind of the opposite of what goku normally is and i I like that i guess contradiction yeah it, it is a a good comparison kind of seeing this very serious assassin character against kind of our goofy Goku, but they're both very talented. I mean, whether you want to call them martial artists, fighters, killers, whatever Um, they're, they're kind of putting each other through the ringer here. And I think after, after the big reveal, after Goku manages to block and then I guess land a very glancing blow on hit, he reveals what he's doing, and I think that leaves us at our cliffhanger for that episode. Definitely does. So what did you think about that episode as a whole, Dayton? I thought it was actually really good. It was The fighting wasn't, I guess, animated anything special, 
But what was happening in the fights was really interesting, and I like the dynamic they set up between these two fighters. So I'm, I'm a big fan of that episode. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I Kind of what I was getting at at the end there, I, I like the tactics. I like the idea that there's more going on here than just we're going to wave our big key energy around and see who's going to be stronger. Uh, and so I think that's going to take us into the next episode. Which is episode 39, a fully developed time skip counterattack. Is it coming? Goku's new technique. These episode names, uh, they're a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're a little lengthy. But we basically continued the fight in the next episode between Hit and Goku. Uh, Hit is basically saying that he's going to take this seriously now. And Goku says the same and immediately goes into Super Saiyan Blue. And Hit starts using all of his hands. That's important, too. <laughs> hey, man, got to use all those hands to be serious. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the the fight pretty much kicks off really quick in this episode. And for a moment, it almost seems like they're evenly matched. They're exchanging some blows. But even with uh, Hit's time skip and him fighting all out, it starts very quickly turning over into Goku's favor as Hit's starting to get pushed back finally. Yeah, the interesting part is that the first exchange here is just, I mean, it's just punches and kicks. They're, Goku even mentions, hey, Hit, why aren't you using your time skip now? Which is why Goku kind of seems like he's got the upper hand in the very beginning here. Yeah, and uh, at some point after Hit gets pushed back enough, you see him kind of drop back and he does this big, explosive, screaming power-up moment, which is something that we see all the time in Dragon Ball. <laughs> but I think the thing that a lot of people point out is that they don't notice his power level raise. Yeah, and that's that's interesting. Um, we we kind of get to see Goku beating Hit's time skip right before that, and then Hit basically dives back into the fight, and Goku notices that after this, you know, screaming power up. Hit's not fighting any differently. He's not stronger, and he's not even changing tactics. And so Goku's just kind of surprised as to what's going on in this moment. Yeah, it's a really strange moment. And then after Hit loses a few trades, he manages to land just a really solid blow on Goku. And after he kind of hits Goku, and Goku kind of drops back into the ground for a moment, uh, Hit makes a comment about how he doesn't have the luxury of form changing or cutting corners to achieve new power. He explains that he's just improving his time skip, and that's how he's going to push forward during this fight. So he's just improving his technique on the fly, which is really cool. It is really cool. And I think Piccolo shows how impressed he is with the fact that uh, Hit's just improving his technique. And there's almost a little bit of like a meta thing going on here of hit kind of making fun of Saiyans and Dragon Ball as a whole in like a very broad sense where he's just like, I don't have the luxury of just, you know, transforming and getting stronger, <laughs> which is kind of funny to me. Uh, I had a good laugh about that, too. It was like, oh, I, I, I can't just corner cut and just achieve a new form. I was just like, we were all thinking that. So, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Yeah, I thought that was pretty good. But that that really kind of turns the tide here. We find out that Hit previously was jumping forward about one-tenth of a second in time, and he's doubled that at this point. And 
Goku almost gets called uh, by the announcer as, uh, you know, not being able to fight anymore until he gets back up. Uh, and we we get to see Hit basically read Goku's mind. Like, Goku's planning to just dive in, take a few more good hits like that, but also just deliver his own good hits. And Hit more or less says, that's not going to work because I'm going to keep improving my technique. I I love that in this fight. Very quickly, Goku has more or less I changed Hit to be more like Goku. They're kind of going back and forth and they're explaining how they're going to beat each other and then changing their techniques, improving their power and becoming just better fighters, which I really, really love. Yes. Yeah, this is this is great. This is, I mean, typical Goku, right? Goku has a positive effect on all of the people that he fights for the most part, whether it be Piccolo, Vegeta, even Frieza. Goku changes all of those characters throughout the story. And so we get to see him doing that to hit here, which is a lot of fun. It's pretty fantastic. I, I love the dynamic between these two characters because they're such... In fighting style, in personality, and just about every way you could look at them, they're opposites, but for some reason, they're drawing the best out of each other, and you're seeing them push each other to the limits. It's it's a fantastic just dialogue, or whatever you want to call it, between these two characters. Absolutely, yeah. And they're I'm, like we said, their personalities are very different, but they still want to push each other to their peak. And that kind of brings us to Goku getting back up after hit you know increasing his time skip multiple times and goku basically says the same sort of thing that we're talking about in that he doesn't want to he doesn't want to lose the fight this way because he feels like he'll be doing hit a disservice and i think that's going to kind of bring us into goku's secret weapon here yeah it's uh it's something that goku was apparently working on and had not completed but he was originally planning on using it on beerus for the next time they fought but kind of pushed to his limits goku's gonna try and bust it out here even though uh, it could have some catastrophic downsides if he doesn't do it right right and i like the way they're kind of building this up and Man, the first time I watched this, is I was like a 13-year-old child all over again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But they basically show Goku powering up. We get some great Sean Schemmel screaming here. And we get Goku's like Super Saiyan Blue aura. And then it disappears. And we get kind of this moment of tension. And then Goku says, I'm going to show you the Kaioken. And we get the blue aura with the red Kaioken aura. And this is awesome. I love this part. <laughs> it's just the intensity of those two techniques combined. I don't... Have we ever seen the Kaioken used with Super Saiyan or any of the other forms up till this point? We haven't. This is, I think, the first time that we've seen the Kaioken since the Frieza saga since Goku was fighting Frieza before he went Super Saiyan. And I think that there's, there's something in Dragon Ball about Kaioken does not work with. It's not compatible with Super Saiyan because something about, they use the same type of whether it be key or energy. Um, but apparently the different type of God key with Super Saiyan blue works with Kaioken. So I'll take, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> I, I don't know anything about it, but sure, sounds right. Yeah, eh, who knows? I mean, it, 
Dragon Ball craziness. But I will say the one thing that blew my mind is how Goku jumped into, I think, a, a times 10 Kaioken right off the get. He's not messing around. Yeah, he, he jumps into that pretty quick. He basically uh, goes to f- basically exchange blows with Hit, and uh, Goku's just pummeling Hit. And we actually get to see Hit tries to use his time skip, and Goku just continues to move. I will say, I wasn't a big fan of this part. The hype part with the Kaioken, I was like, okay, great. But it almost makes no sense that Goku can just continue moving and hits time skip to me. You know, and there there are some things that come up later about that time manipulation stuff that don't make sense later. And I'm sure this is something we're going to talk about multiple times, but yeah, yeah the, the time skip thing, it does raise some eyebrows. Let's just assume that if you're really, really strong, you can you're more powerful than time, I guess. That's uh, basically what they make it sound like. <laughs> Goku more or less says something to the effect of, I'm strong enough to where your time skip is just has no effect, which is, eh, I'm, I'm not a big fan of that. Like, I like back in the days of, let's say, Goldo, when Goldo was using his time skip. Goldo was the weakest of the Ginyu Force, but his time skip was kind of his ace in the hole. It was like his way of actually being effective, even against people who were significantly stronger than him. I, I'm glad you made the Galdo comparison because I was going to do the same thing. Uh, Excellent. <laughs> it, it is interesting, though, because we've seen hit. He can actually hit and damage people while time is stopped as well. And that's also right. something that's really interesting. I, I'm sure you could hand wave it away where it's not stopping time it's just decreasing time down to a point where it's so slow it's like it stopped but uh, they don't say that so i I can't assume that yeah it's uh, i don't know it it feels a little wibbly wobbly and it doesn't seem like they have a great explanation for it so that's one of my biggest complaints about this fight i think but this moment outside of that phenomenal because we did we then get Goku, basically, his body's starting to fail him, and he says, okay, I gotta finish this in one shot. So, we get a Kamehameha, Super Saiyan Blue, Kaioken, times 10, and it's awesome. <laughs> this might be the most powerful Kamehameha ever launched by orders of magnitude. This thing is holy crap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we, I mean, hits, basically, he's trying to defend against it. Um, we get a little bit of a, a struggle there, and it the episode kind of ends on that little bit of a cliffhanger. We don't really get to see the resolution to this Kamehameha exchange. No, and this is a fight that just, it seems like it escalates and it's moving quick, and I will say the pacing of this fight is one of the best pacings we've had in Super in general. Like, this fight is very exciting to watch, and it keeps moving forward. There's not a lot of downtime. Goku's not being knocked to the ground 17 times and flying back. <laughs> it's it it feels really good. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's this one has some good exchanges in it. It's a lot of fun. There's some nostalgia with the Kaioken, some absolute, you know, killer excitement with that one. I really like that part. And I think that pretty much wraps that episode up. What did you think about that episode as a whole, Dayton? I mean, the the child in me absolutely loved it. So, I, the yeah, kid me is going to give that one a, a big old pass. I love seeing the Kaioken. So anytime you can whip that out, I'm happy. Yeah, I 
I can't say that I was upset about that episode. I was, you know, super giddy the first time and even the second time watching that, I was still excited. <laughs> that and I just think Hit's a cool character. And so watching Goku and Hit fight was something I was looking forward to it. And it's not disappointing me. Yeah, I I very much agree with you. This is a one of the more interesting exchanges that is like new content outside of the the Dragon Ball Super movies. So and I think there's brand new techniques and stuff in it too, and that's not something we don't get a ton of that in Super oddly enough. And this is one of the best showcases of new techniques, not only from a brand new villain, if you want to call Hit a villain, but also Goku's combining his different techniques into something we haven't seen before, and I really like that. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. We get new techniques, not well, new techniques from our antagonists, as well as kind of just a fresh showing of techniques from yeah, Goku. A new mixture. Right. I think that's pretty much going to bring us to the next episode, episode 41. Uh, is that four? I think it's episode I skip, 40. I skipped one. Episode yeah. 40. Episode 40, the conclusion at last, who will prevail, Beerus or Champa? I'm glad that, that they remind you that this tournament is about the gods of destruction and not these <laughs> peasly little mortals. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, that is pretty funny. I'm also glad that they don't give away the results in the title like they sometimes do. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's it's a little too on the nose. Yeah, a little bit. So we're basically starting this episode with the cliffhanger from our last one. Goku more or less blows a hole through the barrier that uh, Vados had erected around the tournament arena. And they have to <laughs> first correct that between Whis and Vados. Yeah, it turns um, out all the atmosphere is being sucked out and it's a little inconvenient for all the, the people who need air. Yeah, I, you know, all of our earthling friends and family who might get killed <laughs> in this scenario <laughs> oh shoot i don't think uh i don't think hit needs air though right you know i i'm not sure i don't think so but uh, i'm not pursue positive. uh not frieza uh frost frost out into the planet side or whatever and they were both out there I think you're right. I think that was outside of the barrier. So, yeah, I think we kind of get the impression. We already know that Frieza's race doesn't need to breathe oxygen. So so Hit would have been fine. So I, he, he probably wasn't too upset. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but the basically the, the dust settles and we get Hit and Goku standing atop of the portraits of Champa and Beerus. And uh, there's a ruling that it's still part of the ring, so neither one is knocked out. Yep, both um, of the gods want the fight to continue. And uh, there's a moment during this scene that I really, really like. And they stop to show Goku's muscles sort of starting to spasm and his body starting to respond to all the pressure of all these different energies on him. I love that they start showing the breakdown like that because... I think we've had it in the past where just at the end of the fight, Goku just sort of falls over and it's like, well, he did everything he needed to do or he falls over at just the most inopportune time for drama. I love the slow breakdown. I thought it was beautifully done in this. I agree. I I think we we kind of get that in, at least in some ways, in the first time that he used the Kaioken against Vegeta in the Saiyan saga. But after that, we didn't see nearly as many kind of like repercussions to using the Kaioken. And this does a much better job of kind of showcasing those repercussions during the fight. Absolutely. I was a big fan of it. I like that little attention to detail because Goku is pushing his body far beyond anything we've ever seen him do. And I love that we can see the, I guess, the the fallout of that. 
Yeah, yeah, I very much agree with you there. And we get some dialogue back and forth here with Goku and Hit. Uh, they basically are more or less just kind of having an agreement to continue the fight. And uh, Hit actually explains to us that he increased his time skip again to dodge Goku's attack. And so that's kind of where we, we find out that, uh, you know, Hit was not hurt by Goku's Kamehameha. Listen, they both do one thing. Hit skips time, Goku gets more powerful, and they're just going to keep going in those directions until one wins. <laughs> yep, Hit's just going to skip time more and more and more. And uh, so we basically keep on moving forward with the fight. And actually, before they continue, there's a little bit of an exchange where Chapa yes. is like yelling at them, telling Hit to finish Goku off. Or actually, he's telling hit to stay away from Goku to kind of uh, let Goku's body fall apart uh, while he's using this dangerous technique. Uh, what do yeah. you think about that, Dayton? It, it was a really interesting exchange because I think even Vados mentions that it's actually a sound strategy. And uh, Kaba actually steps in and tells Champa that he, that hits an honorable warrior and he wouldn't want to win like that. It would be disgraceful. And Champa makes, I guess, the offhand comment or just kind of screams it at him that he doesn't care, he just wants to win, and that they're all just pawns in their game. And this catches the attention of Hit, Goku, and everybody. And there's sort of a collective death glare at Champa that makes him visibly recoil for a moment. And yeah. I love this scene because I think I think these mortals are probably more closer to the the power level of these gods than the gods would like to admit. Absolutely. In fact, uh, something that we kind of passed over, Goku even mentions before he uses the Kaioken is that he was working on it so that he could use it against Beerus the next time that they fought. And Beerus even shows a little bit of concern at that little detail. <laughs> yeah, he's like, he was saving that for me. Just I love that realization that that Goku's been working on ways to beat Beerus this whole time in the background without telling anybody. It's so yeah. good. Yeah, and if we want to talk about power scaling, I mean, Goku was at least hanging in there against Beerus in Super Saiyan God form in the Beerus arc. Now he's gone Super Saiyan Blue, he's got Kaioken up to times 10, and let's add to the fact that we kind of get the impression that Champa is not as strong as Beerus, so... I mean, Goku might be able to take Champa right now. Who knows? I mean, I feel like Hit could probably take Champa pretty easily. <laughs> probably. I mean, the only thing Champa has going for him is his actual uh, Hakai or his destruction technique to just basically wipe Hit off the face of the universe. I, but good luck with that when somebody can just pass through time. Uh, that's true. <laughs> you got to be able to land. But then again, like Champa still exchanges blows with Beerus, so Champa's still a capable fighter. Right, he's he's certainly no weakling, that's for sure. <laughs> and so we we basically get Goku and Hit. Uh, they they start the fight again. Uh, Champa's kind of you know put in his place for the moment anyway. And Hit keeps increasing his uh, his time skip, and Goku eventually gets to the point where he realizes something, and he kind of stops the fight. And he asks Beerus to lift all of the rules for the fight. And he kind of tells us 
why as we come back from like the middle break of the episode here. And yeah, he wants... it's uh, go ahead. it Goku wants wants uh hit to be able to go all out and use his full destructive force because he figured out that hits an assassin most of his techniques are designed around very efficiently killing people and with the no kill clause in the rules hit has to hold back pretty much this whole fight and goku wants hit at his best and uh the logic is there but at the same time beerus is not exactly happy about goku asking for this but champa is more than willing to lift these rules and there's now a bickering slap fight between the two gods of destruction <laughs> yeah and this is kind of playing into that theme that you were talking about dayton where the these two you know herculean fighters are kind of being treated as if they are pawns in the gods tournament uh as kind of like playthings. And they're not, Goku and Hit, they're not happy about it. And they're not really going to sit around and take that. And Goku takes it on himself to do something about it. And in shocking form for Goku, he steps out of the ring. He throws the fight, which, I mean, when I first watched this, surprised me for sure. I think, uh, well, there's one little exchange between Hit and Goku before he hops out. Oh, thank you. I and, think I skipped that. Yeah, during the bickering, Hit mentions that, you know, they really are just pawns in their game. And Goku looks at him, responds with, uh, for now. And they both kind of give each other a smirk. And I I love that. I love that they're getting to the point where they're going to challenge the gods. And it's so it's so good. I love that little exchange right there. But you're right. Um, right after that, Goku does decide to remove himself from the tournament and just hop out of the ring. Yeah, yeah, that is a good exchange. And it's, I mean, we kind of see where Goku's head is at. And, uh, I mean, we've kind of known that the whole time. But <laughs> yeah. it's funny for him to kind of just come out and say it with a little bit of bravado there. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, that's a heck of a thing to say. Like, I'm going to be a god of destruction. <laughs> okay, all right, good luck, man. It's a lofty goal. <laughs> but the, uh, it almost felt a little bit like a, like a blue ball seeing Goku hop out of the out of the ring like that, especially when I guess there was time spent with bickering and other stuff. I If Goku would have fought to the very end and then stopped and fell over and just hit his absolute limit that way, I think I would have been a little bit more OK with it. I don't hate it, but it could have been done just a little bit better because I wanted I wanted Goku to absolutely hit that wall and fall over. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what we're used to seeing from Goku, right? Which is why, that's why I was saying I was surprised to see Goku step out of the ring. But he does was, reveal the reason why he does it, though, right? Right. Like, they're kind of leading up to it. At the very least, the, the one thing I will say about Super is that it almost always has some foreshadowing for the events that are to come. Mm. And they they keep saying these things about like how these guys are pawns. And they're, you know, clearly Goku and Hit are clearly not happy about it. So Goku does something about it. He kind of, you know, flips them the bird and says, hey, this is, you know, I'm going to take control and make it so that you neither of you really gets what you want. Well, no, Goku had a great reason for dropping out of the ring. And it was because they still had their strongest fighter on deck. <laughs> or at least that's what he tells Beerus anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Because besides, I didn't think it was a big deal because we still have our, our strongest fighter. <laughs> and Beerus just looks at him in complete disbelief. Oh his plan God. has finally come back and bit him in the butt. 
Weiss's reaction to this is <laughs> hilarious. It's so <laughs> Weiss has just been like ripping on Beerus this entire time. Like, this is a bad idea. I'm telling you, this is going to come and bite you in the ass. <laughs> Weiss has quickly become one of my favorite characters in Dragon Ball. His commentary is always such gold with Beerus. Oh, he's so sassy. I love Weiss. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but with that, Goku is officially eliminated from the tournament. And now all that's left is hit versus Universes Seven's best fighter, Manaka. And boy, what a fighter he is. <laughs> <laughs> we get to see Manaka do a somersault into the ring and just crash and hurt himself. I think start crying at some point. Uh, like, crying in power. I mean, you know, those are tears of just murderous rage. <laughs> mm -hmm. And every, everyone's waiting for this for the big showdown between Manaka and Hit at this point. Well, Goku's waiting for the showdown. I think everyone else is sort of caught wind of what's actually going on here. Yeah, Goku might be the only one waiting at this point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so we start the fight between Manaka and Hit. And, I mean, to his credit, Manaka charges Hit right off the bat. Just and eyes closed, tears pouring down his face, full power punch right into the torso of Hit. Uh, yeah, and, and the funny thing is, I think because of the size difference, I think Manaka actually hits him like in the thigh or something. <laughs> but after landing the blow, there's a good three to five second pause, I would say. Uh huh. And then Hit just goes flying back to the back of the ring, hits the wall, and then drops to the ground, all but knocked out. Manaka has finally won the tournament. <laughs> it is knocked and out of the ring. And we get Matthew Mercer's best fake. Ah, I'm in pain. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic. <laughs> oh, it's so good. I freaking love it. And yeah, I mean, to everybody's surprise, I think, uh, Monaco wins. Universe 7 wins. And uh, Champa is shocked and angry. Uh, Beerus is, you know, pretty excited and surprised. <laughs> oh, absolutely. But I mean, this is Champa had this coming. He he treated all of his warriors just like absolute insects and garbage and was disrespectful to them the entire time. And this was kind of right. its big F you moment. Like, I'm not a pawn in your game. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we get the idea that Hit is basically taking Goku's lead here, right? Where Goku jumped out of the ring to give them the finger and say, you know, I'm not a part of your, I'm not your pawn and hits more or less doing the same thing. And so we're kind of like a little bit of whiplash here, trying to figure out who's going to win this tournament. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I think this kind of leads to Champa really flying off the handle here and getting ready to kill hit Kaba uh, pretty much all of his fighters. Yeah, he's got them all lined up. He's letting them know that this is the end of the road for all of them. He's got his big old destruction energy pulled out, and I think he's pretty much on the verge of wiping out all of his fighters when somebody uh, shows up out of nowhere. Yeah, and we, it, the end of this episode doesn't give us much information, but we get to see this little blue-faced figure, and Beerus and Champa are scared. And they say his name. They say Grand Zeno. 
But that's it. That's the only thing that we get. That's all we got. We got two gods of destruction pretty much uh, in utter shock and falling over themselves over this grand Zeno. And that's where the episode ends. Yeah, yeah. And I want to little rewind, if only because I want to touch on this moment of Goku shaking hands, hands with the Galactic King. Oh, God. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah, we can talk about it. I just had to bring it up. Don't necessarily <laughs> want to dwell on it, but Galactic King says that Goku is touching his highly sensitive organ. <laughs> Let's keep it family friendly, okay? I, you know, they tried to censor it as best they could. <laughs> I just which, had to mention that one. <laughs> uh, which one of these things do you pee out of? Uh, yeah, no, uh, they all look the same. What can you uh, say? Geez. Uh, I mean, at least he was uh, he was graceful about it. I, he tried to be get a little blush in there. <laughs> um, but that, I mean, that's pretty much that episode in its entirety. What did you think about that one, Dayton? Uh, great. Actually, the I think these first three episodes that we're going over are all fantastic. Three or four episodes. I forget how many we've gone through already, but they're yeah, all yeah. fantastic. The whole the finish to this tournament, I think, is great. Uh, the resolution's good. It definitely gives me a couple of moments where I laugh and it's very creative laughter because it's hit giving the big F you to Champa and letting Monaco win. I freaking love that outcome. I love Goku and hit pushing each other to absolute new levels. That's always been a theme with dragon ball is kind of hitting that next, that next target, that next goal, pushing yourself beyond your limits. So, I mean, I got to say this is right in line with all the other ones. The only slight criticism I have is the animation could have been a little better in some of these fight sequences. It wasn't right. bad, but it wasn't really impressive either. But I'm willing to forgive that just because the actual the the fights and the dialogue and the story uh, throughout all of this was fantastic. Right. And we were talking briefly that both of us kind of almost remembered this fight or these episodes as having better animation just because it's such an interesting engagement. Uh, it's I mean, the fight is really fun. The techniques are really interesting. So it's it's a really powerful sequence. It's a really fun exchange. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. Watching it the second time, I felt like the animation could have been better. But, man, when Goku uses that Kaioken, I've watched this sequence probably a dozen times, and I get excited every time I see that. It's so much fun. <laughs> I mean, like I said, the just the whole story arc and the powering up, all all the Dragon Ball elements are there. It feels very Dragon Ball. It's super fun. The fights are interesting. I I'm just bringing up the slight lack of animation quality just because right. it's my only nitpick. I think everything else is great. Yeah, I agree. And this is also it's honestly this is one of the stronger points in super especially up to this point in the story um it, it's giving us some new content it's giving us the pacing for especially for the hit fight the pacing for the hit fight is much better than some of the pacing that we've had previous in super uh so they they did a pretty good job here i think one thing that you said too where it does feel a little bit like we're being kind of blue balled in this fight w between goku and hit I wasn't a big fan of that. However, I do like what they're doing here by ending the fight in a non-typical way for Dragon Ball. They're kind of, Toriyama here is kind of taking Dragon Ball fans' expectations of what we ex what we expect to see from a Dragon Ball fight and just kind of ripping them apart and throwing them to the wind, which I do like. 
And I mean, it's, I do like that, you, you know, we're basing this kind of fight, like the rules around it off of the martial arts tournament. And this stuff is going to be really relevant. You got to remember the rules are there. You can lose. I mean, I guess if you stand on a little piece of the arena <laughs> while it's on the ground, then you're not out. But, you know, whatever. Yeah, it's part of the arena. But you I know. mean, I I guess we're not really completely blue balled because this is not going to be the last that we see these characters together. Exactly. So right. I, I think I can I can forgive a little bit more of, I guess, what's happened here, because we're, we're going to see more hit and Goku and all this other stuff. Yes. Yeah, I agree. I think that pretty much wraps up that episode. So that takes us to the next one. Which is episode 41. Come forth, dragon of the gods. Grant my wish. Pretty peas. Oh, goodness. <laughs> and uh, and full disclosure, I think this is sort of the the start of the downfall of the quality of episodes in, in I guess, the second half of the uh, the saga. So That's true. I think... Uh, I think we talked beforehand. We're going to pick up the pace a little bit, kind of starting here, because it's it's going to get fillery, it's going to get silly, and I freaking love Dragon Ball, and I don't want to spend a lot of time complaining about it. I 100% agree, and this is kind of the uh, downward portion of the roller coaster, and not the fun roller coaster either. So we're basically going to get a little bit of exposition here, talking about who this blue character is, grand zeno is and they explain that he's the omni king and he's basically rules over all of the universes and (laughs) we get a it's very telling here because beerus and champa are terrified yeah and you see them on their knees bowing begging you see these two gods of destruction who pretty much dismissed everyone around them and did what they want suddenly bring bringing being brought to heel and they are hand and foot just doing whatever the omni king wishes they're apologetic they're they're acting very out of character let's just put it that way yeah and i i think that that's a good way to show that the omni king is a big deal is these two gods of destructions are just terrified and not acting the way that they normally do and Go ahead. Oh, and uh, Grand Zeno is here, and he's upset. He's upset with these gods of destruction because he wasn't told about the all the fighting and suggest that they that they should do another one, and maybe that they need new gods of destruction. <laughs> yeah, and here again, Whis and Vados are just dumping on the gods of destruction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they are throwing them under the bus. <laughs> Whis is telling him about how all Beerus does is sleep, and Vados uh-huh. is talking about how all Champa does is eat, despite trying to give him healthy meals. It is just a complete just... They're not looking out for him. <laughs> yeah, It's kind of funny watching the two gods of destruction being taken to task here, and just you know, they kind of have to answer for their... Uh, kind of crappy behavior towards everybody else honestly (laughs) yeah and i mean very early on the beerus was described as not being uh i guess thoughtful with his destruction as more of just an agent of chaos and just kind of does things on a whim so it's not like they're following a strict agenda to their destruction it's just whatever they feel like right and we basically get the omni king here saying, hey, we should have a tournament with all the universes because this was fun and I want to see another tournament like it. 
And Goku comes in, he goes to greet Zeno, and he's like, heck yeah, I want to do a tournament with all the universes <laughs> and fight super strong guys. And Beerus is freaking out because Goku is just being typical Goku and just, you know, blundering in and not being really respectful or using respectful language or bowing or any of the other stuff. He's just like, yeah, yeah, I want to fight. And he's trying to push his way in. And you see the Omni King's guards kind of jump in the way and say no. And even Grand Zeno is like, no, nah, it's OK. He can talk to me. Goku instantly <laughs> having that can smooth over anybody effect. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I really like this scenario with particularly with Beerus, Goku and Zeno, because it really parallels the sequence that we had with King Kai, Goku and Beerus, except now where King Kai was afraid of how Goku was treating Beerus and how Goku was being too friendly towards a God of Destruction. Now, Beerus is the one being the paranoid party here and saying, you don't talk to the Omni King that way. <laughs> yeah, the tables have turned right here, and now Beerus is kind of getting a taste of his own medicine. Absolutely. So Goku basically goes and says, hey, you know, I'd, I'd love to fight in that tournament. And he goes to shake Zeno's hand, and there's a huge moment of tension here. But uh, Zeno shakes Goku's hand and Goku kind of shakes his whole body up and down. And Zeno <laughs> loves it. He's just laughing and having a good time. Uh, while everyone else is just stressing the hell out. <laughs> Absolutely. So this, this is great. Zeno is an interesting little character uh, like this. has a very childlike personality. And also more power than any of the gods, which is kind of terrifying. Oh, yeah. Grand Zeno could unmake all, all of existence if Grand Zeno wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And uh, we get just a brief little scene as the universes are kind of uh, collecting all of their fighters and collecting all of their, uh, I guess, the audience members. Oh, well, Hold on. Uh, it's important that when Grand Zeno leaves that uh, oh, yeah. the guards say later, Gator. I forgot about that. <laughs> there's, oh, there's, I mean, the title kind of talks about the other weird little word plays that we're going to have coming up here. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I actually really like the Grand Zeno scene. And then from there, it starts, I mean, there's one, I guess, other big event that happens. And that's uh, Beerus ends up winning the tournament with Champa, right? And so he is now gifted the Super Dragon Balls. And part of the thing is that Ciampa had only found six and they have to locate the seventh. And they very quickly find out that this nameless planet that they were fighting on housed the last and final Dragon Ball. And from there, they bring forth all seven Dragon Balls. They summon the Super Dragon by saying uh, pretty peas or peas and carrots, I oh guess, depending God. on which translation you look at. <laughs> and... uh yeah, we get a a whole new dragon brought into the Dragon Ball universe. And I got to say, this is my least favorite dragon that they've summoned. <laughs> 100%. It is I... such an... Uh, I, I'm going to say, I think it's ugly. I think it's not very inspired, especially compared to like Shenron, who is just this beautiful, artistic, awesome creation. And then this thing is just so... Yu-Gi-Oh, I guess, is the Man, best way I'm going to describe it. I was going to say the exact same thing. <laughs> Super Shenron looks like he should be on a Yu-Gi-Oh card. <laughs> he does. He really freaking does. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Yeah. 
I just, it, you know, they do this big, long reveal sequence for it, which, by the way, I didn't even think looked very good. But, no. like, the sequence wasn't that great, and then the dragon itself didn't look that great, and then at the end of it, it's like, oh, this is what we're left with? Okay. I was pretty bummed about that, too. I felt the same way. Like, I mean, it's the namesake of the show. It's Dragon Ball Super. Like, we're looking for the Super Dragon Balls here. And the dragon is just not that interesting. It's not... It doesn't look good. I don't like the design. The only kind of cool thing about it, and this wasn't even that great either, was the the dragon is massive. Like, universe scale, just eating planets as it flies through the universe. And it's kind of a cool scene, but yeah, even the animation for that was honestly a little bit lackluster. Yeah, this really, this felt like this should have been this big moment with this awesome reveal, and I sort of just was, I don't know, not impressed, I guess. Like, when it happened, I was watching it, and I kept thinking, there's got to be more. Like, this has to be maybe the first phase of the reveal or something like that, or maybe something cool is going to happen afterwards, but nope, we just got big and gold, that's pretty much all I can say to describe the dragon and ugh. I mean I'm glad at least the scene with it was pretty brief yeah I kind of felt the same more or less uh, we we kind of wrap up this episode with them making a wish on Super Shenron and uh, Beerus makes the wish and he makes it in the language of the gods so we as the audience don't know what the wish is initially and even Goku and all of them are asking, like, what did you wish for? What did you wish for? And he's like, it's none of your business. Don't worry about it. And then yeah. we, and we I love get that. our end scene. Go yeah, I, I love this because, uh, you know, they finally pry it out of him. And he says, oh, well, I wish for a more comfortable bed. And they're all just just oh, yeah. breaking him over the coals for this. Like, you got together the Super and Dragon Balls and you wished for this. Like, you idiot. We could have wished for so many other things. Like, Bulma's actually just losing her mind over this, which... Bulma loses her mind a lot, so that's not surprising. But um, yeah. we get a little scene at the end where we figure out where the wish probably went to, and it's uh, Champa and Vados. They're uh, pulling up, uh, I guess, in Vados' staff, uh, a picture of what looks like Earth, and Champa's like, yeah, why are you showing me the, you know, universe's seven, you know, why are you showing me their Earth? He's like, no, this isn't their Earth. This is actually our Earth. It just showed back up out of nowhere. And so I think... Uh, we get to see that Beerus is actually kind of a cool guy and he helped out his brother a little bit. I actually do like this. I like the way that this ends and it's really good characterization for Beerus because we've seen, initially we get the impression that Beerus is kind of evil when he first shows up. Um, not, I mean, he's, he's just destroying things for seemingly no reason outside of his title. And, uh, we he does spare earth so we kind of get this idea that he is not as bad as he initially comes across and this is kind of pushing him further in that direction like Beerus is a good guy he's just not really willing to show it <laughs> yeah yeah and he definitely has a i guess kind of a look or an idea of him that he wants people to believe and so he's going to go around you know beating his chest and making sure that people respect him he's got an image he's trying to uphold is what i'm trying Absolutely. to say Absolutely Yep, he's putting on this face in front of everybody, and that's important to him because of his title as a god of destruction. And on top of uh, uh, Beerus being a cool guy with Champa, he was a cool guy to Manaka by paying him with a whole truckload of gold and treasure and swords and all kinds of awesome shit. 
I'm not going to lie. Whoever the voice actor is for Manaka does a great job in this scene of just like, whoa. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, it's pretty excellent. <laughs> so um, I know I had said that it, this was the beginning of the downfall, but I actually do like this episode overall because it was kind of tying up a lot of loose ends. It's not the most entertaining episode. And like I said, the the reveal of the Super Dragon felt like a big letdown. Yeah, but it's not a bad episode. It's it's kind of it lets you know where the story is going to be going with the uh, Zeno showing up and saying he wants another tournament. Right. It's we see the motivation for Beerus now. We get some insight into the characters and they actually Vegeta pretty much lays it out loud or lays it down pretty clearly out loud that the plan with Manaka is to make sure Goku stays motivated. And so that's established very solidly in this episode. It's a good episode. It's not a great episode. Um, honestly, they could have just ended the the saga here, and I think everything would have been great. Yeah, yeah, I don't really disagree with you there. I honestly, the worst part of this episode is the Super Dragon, uh, Super Shenron, and the rest of it's not bad. It does more world building, uh, fleshing things out with the Omni King and letting us know a little bit more about the other universes and doing again more foreshadowing. It, I mean, it's simple foreshadowing. It's very straightforward, but it's telling us that there's going to be another tournament coming up in the future. So it's it's leading us in the right direction and what to expect. Which so it, it, I don't think it's a bad episode. I think it's a fine episode. I think it's it kind of ties everything together in a nice, neat little package. Absolutely. I think that's going to take us to the next episode, and things are kind of going to go downhill from here. Yeah, yeah, this is this is the actual beginning of the end. <laughs> All right, so this is episode 42, if I'm correct. Yeah. Uh, a tumultuous victory celebration. Facing off at last, Manaka vs. Son Goku. Ugh. Oh, boy. <laughs> so, again, we're going to try to go through these last five kind of quick, because they're filler episodes let's be honest they're, yeah yeah they're absolutely i even have a note in here midway through where it just says this is a goofy episode yeah and i mean some people like that i sometimes like that stuff i like seeing some of the downtime stuff for our z fighters but <laughs> this one gets a little ridiculous i agree and we get our uh basically what ends up happening is there's doing a party or having a party for the victory for the universe six tournament. And everybody's invited except for Monaka because Beerus doesn't want Goku to fight Monaka. Uh, Mr. Satan basically, well, well, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but um, Monaka ends up showing up to earth to deliver something. Cause he's a delivery guy. And, Mr. Satan actually talks to Manaka saying, hey, you know, you were an awesome fighter in that tournament. I made a mascot of you because I think that you should be or I made this, you know, kind of costume of you because I think you should be my mascot for my dojo because you're an awesome fighter. Uh, And this kind of turns into the running gag for the episode where where (laughs) where Goku shows up and he sees Manaka at this party and he is absolutely obsessed with fighting Manaka. And we just got the reveal of Mr. Satan's uh, Manaka suit. And things go in a direction to where Beerus decides to don the Manaka suit in order to give Goku this fight that he's been looking for this whole time. Right. And, you know, this is this is kind of doing it. It's almost teasing us with like a rematch between Beerus and Goku, right? Just Which give is... me the full rematch. 
Yeah. Give it to me. <laughs> yeah. It's a little bit of a cock tease there, which really frustrates me more than anything because it does not give us a full rematch. If you want to give me some filler fighting episodes, then just just go whole hog. Don't don't halfway fight like this. So we get to see Goku. I don't think did Goku ever leave base form during these fights? No. So it's just kind of Goku base form fighting Beerus in a Manaka suit. And there's like comical Goku punches Manaka's, well, Beerus's helmet. It's a really awkward fight to describe. His big headpiece. Yeah. And it starts spinning around. And when he stops it, the the head on there is looking the wrong way. So it looks like Manaka's head's looking directly behind him. And Beerus is like breaking out of the suit, like where the hands are and his tail comes out and all this other stuff. And somehow Goku still can't figure out that that's Beerus. Yeah, it's goofy. Some of the other Z fighters, like all the Z fighters are in on it. Everybody knows that Manaka is not a fighter except for Goku. So everybody's trying to keep the ruse up for Goku's sake. And uh, we get like Vegeta and Piccolo try to hide you know, Beerus's tail and stuff. Honestly, I got to bring this up because this is the best part of the episode to me where Vegeta and Piccolo interject into this fight and Vegeta tells Piccolo because they both start like acting like, oh, Manaka's controlling my body and I'm attacking you now. And (laughs) Vegeta tells Piccolo he's a terrible actor. And Piccolo says, look who's talking. And the funny part about this to me is the meta aspect is that both of them are voiced in the English dub by Chris Sabat. So Chris <laughs> Sabat is telling himself that he's a terrible actor. <laughs> oh, geez. You know, he had fun with that one. Oh, my God. I loved it. It was hilarious <laughs> writing. I thought that was fantastic and absolutely the highlight of this episode. Uh, I can agree. I think that's some pretty meta stuff right there. That's so funny. <laughs> oh, geez. I mean, I will say this does bring up a kind of a complaint I have with Dragon Ball Super's version of Goku is that sometimes they just make Goku unbearably dumb. And it just like when Beerus's hands are coming out of the costume and his tails out and stuff like that. How does Goku not figure this out? Yeah, this is one of the probably worst offenders of the kind of stupid Goku trope where Dragon Ball Super has just made him a complete bumbling idiot. Yeah. And he's, you know, he's never been the brightest crayon in the box, but he's never been this dumb either. (laughs) I mean, Goku's kind of dumb was always the, well, he was naive and he's not like school smarts. He can't do a lot of math. He's not, he hasn't seen a map before, but he's not like a dumb person. He's probably somewhere around average intelligence. He just hasn't, you know, been to school. Yeah. And I mean... if you compare Super Goku to like Kid Goku and Dragon Ball, they're uh, honestly they're probably about the same. Kid Goku and Dragon Ball was was kind of dumb, if only because he was he was uneducated. He lived in the middle of the woods and had nobody to teach him anything. And also, um, he was like seven. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> now he's like in his forties. <laughs> like he he's, should be at least normal smart at this point i get i get him not ever knowing how to do algebra i get him not knowing parts of the world but he has eyeballs he's seen costumes <laughs> before i mean come on right yeah it, it just gets too ridiculous and that's why we're basically kind of just buzzing through these episodes more or less what ends up happening is they we stops the fight he says he doesn't want them to destroy the city uh 
they basically uh funny part here is poir is disguised as lord beerus and says that he's you know called for the fight to stop and then Yamcha drops the ball and says, uh, oh, Monaco block- blacked out and he didn't even see what happened in this fight, um, kind of revealing to Goku that he was not fighting Monaco. <laughs> yeah, yeah, except Goku still doesn't figure it out somehow. Exactly. Goku says something to the effect of, oh, Monaco, you can, you know, multiply or uh, split yourself. Like, Goku is, come on. Come on, Goku. <laughs> mm, like, I get, I, I mean, maybe you're, they're just doing it to make a joke, but it's, the joke's not hitting. <laughs> it, it is way off base. Yeah, they're, they're really trying to play up the comedy part of Goku not being smart. And it's just, it's too much. It's going too far with his character. I mean, I, they've also done the same similar things, I guess, with uh, Vegeta at points where the comedy just overshadowed what the actual character is and then yeah. it starts losing some of its luster you stop appreciating it and start i guess recoiling right yeah don't don't ruin our characters don't you know ruin them with writing just because you want to get off a, a laugh or a gag like that's that's it, it's messing with you know, history in dragon ball that's been around for decades so and it's a good thing that's the last time we'll talk about that sort of stuff this episode right Oh boy! Let's go ahead and just move on to the next episode. Jeez. <laughs> uh, okay, I only have a couple points I really want to talk about in this episode. Um, this is episode forty-three. Goku's key is out of control. Lots of trouble taking care of Pan. <laughs> kind of a broken sentence there, but yes. Um, and this episode it starts out with Goku kind of not eating as much as he normally does, and he's feeling weird, and um, he's having trouble flying and at some point he wants to go see king kai about it and he can't instant transmission correctly like goku is all sorts of out of whack and um he eventually does make it over to king kai's planet and we figure or king kai ends up figuring out that it's something called delay onset energy disorder and goku is losing the ability to control his key because he overstressed his body and excessively used his energy um and this came from when he went times 10 Kaioken with Super Saiyan Blue at the tournament. And Goku's starting to feel more repercussions from that. I like this concept. I... Saying that... <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> the rest of the episode is sort of irrelevant. Yeah. <laughs> I I agree with you. I, I thought this concept was great. I mean, we're getting to see some repercussions for his actions and getting to see you know that have an effect on him but uh it, it doesn't end up really being all that relevant um this again is feels like a filler episode but goku takes some downtime uh he ends up accidentally destroying his house him and chi chi's house uh because he can't fly and he just flies right through it and this results in them going to gohan's house and staying at gohan's house for a while uh, and Gohan and Videl are absent. They're trying to get a job for Gohan, but Piccolo is there, and Piccolo is watching Pan in this moment. Yeah, Goku's entire lineage at this point are going to owe themselves to Piccolo. <laughs> I mean, he's uh, <laughs> he is the best green dad out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Piccolo, he, uh, I mean, they show that he's great with Pan. He knows all of Pan's favorite foods and how to take care of Pan and not to use toothpaste and the toothbrush. And 
blah, blah, blah. I, I actually did kind of laugh at that because it's Piccolo is trying to be this big, huffy, tough guy. And then just when it comes to the baby, it's just you have to do it correctly. You've got to take care of this baby this way. And I freaking love it. I'm not going to lie. I actually do love this, too. And as much as we were kind of talking about how they were doing rewriting of characters between like Goku and Vegeta and for a gag, I'm not gonna lie. I like what they do with Piccolo. I think it's funny. I think uh, I think it makes sense though. Piccolo has been kind of moving in this direction, so it feels like a natural progression for him in kind of a funny way. Yeah, and Piccolo, he's kind of always been, I guess, like the group's protector. He's kind of the, I guess, the loyal guard dog of all the Z fighters. He's the guy who's going to make sure like everyone's taken care of, and whether that's taking care of their kids or taking care of the villains that try and hurt them. Like Piccolo is the great protector. He's just become an all-around solid and you know sometimes uh kind of comes off as cold but deep down you know that he's always going to do the right thing at this point yeah i mean even since the saiyan saga when he sacrificed himself for gohan like he's that's that's kind of been the turning point for him where he's been a much even though he comes across as cold he's a much warmer character than he really seems on the outside and uh, I do like that scene. Unfortunately, I can't talk about this episode anymore because all I have in my notes is Pilaf Gang, and then it stops. I don't blame you. I do <laughs> briefly just want to talk about, I actually really liked also the scene with Goku and Piccolo with Pan on the roof of Gohan's house at nighttime where they're just chit-chatting. And Goku's like, I spent a whole day not being able to use my power. I don't know how people do it. Um but he's just in this moment, he's holding Pan. He's he's being a grandfather to her. And I, I'm not going to lie. This moment actually got me a little bit teary eyed. And I think it's just because of how much I care about these characters. But it's it's a little bit corny. It's a little bit sappy. But I really just enjoyed it. I liked seeing Goku be a grandfather and see Piccolo, you know, showing his caring side. It was pretty fun for me in this part. This scene, the the thing it made me kind of ask myself is, um, what would Goku be doing right now if he, say, he had learned that he was the strongest, like, fighter in the universe or all universes or something like that? Like, what if Goku learned or figured out that he's at the absolute top, there's no one stronger than him? Would this be the type of moment where he just kind of says, yeah, like, I did it. I'm going to sit down and be a grandfather now or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I I liked that part about this episode. That was probably the highlight for this one for me. Uh, but Beyond that, we basically get the Pilaf gang messing with Pan. Pan gets lost. Pilaf gang uh, messes up and Pan gets back and everything is okay. And that's pretty much this episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know my opinions of this episode and I, I'm sure everyone else does at this point. Uh, yeah. Guys, if it's not clear, we don't like these filler episodes. They're not great. They have a few highlighted moments that we're going to try to touch on, but uh I think we're going to move on to the next episode and kind of yeah. fly through the last couple. Let's say, should we just wrap these uh, these next three together? Because it is the infamous, legendary Vegeta copy story arc. I am totally okay with wrapping these up into a pink ball and throwing them into a refrigerator, <laughs> never to be found ever again. Oh, geez. You know, it's weird because when you brought this up before we had actually started watching these episodes to prepare for this. Um, you mentioned the Vegeta Vegeta copy episodes, and I could not remember them for the life of me because I'd watched Super all the way through when it was coming out, and I could not remember these episodes. And after re-watching them, dear Lord, I wish I could go back to that me that didn't remember these episodes. Oh, Dang. they're so bad. 
Dayton, do you know why you couldn't remember these episodes? Uh, why? It's, it's because your brain was trying to defend you. It went into defense <laughs> mode and wiped that part of your brain clean like a hard drive. Oh, geez. I should have known. <laughs> uh, this is... Yeah, this is it's three episodes <laughs> of filler and it's just there's a lot of that comedy that I don't like where it ruins characters. There's yeah. a lot of, I guess, meaningless fighting, really poorly animated fighting. The, these three episodes up to this point, I'm willing to say are the three worst episodes of Dragon Ball Super. 100%. These are easily the three worst episodes, in my opinion. Um, let's go ahead and just get through this real quick. Uh, yeah, let's gotta... knock them out because I, I want to be done being negative. I want to go back to happy me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I'm excited for the next part after this. So. Okay, good, good. Um, <laughs> we, we basically get Goten and Trunks. They get stuck in Monaka's ship. Monaka's delivering something to Balma. Uh, Monaka leaves with Goten and Trunks on his ship goes to another planet to deliver something to this random character. And he uh, basically finds Trunks and Goten in his vehicle, in his spaceship. And they end up saving, Goten and Trunks save this uh, random panda-looking character whose name I didn't even look up for this. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But they save him from these random goons. Uh, These goons are chasing this panda character because he has what they think is the key to some sort of superhuman water, which is supposed to grant them super strength. Um, basically, ends up what ends up happening is they uh, they do get their hands on the key. These villains get their hands on the key. They open the refrigerator where the superhuman water is stored, and the superhuman water takes over their bodies, creating these clones, these pink, gooey-looking clones of them, and their real bodies end up disappearing. And so from there, there's a big long chase scene with uh, Trunks and Goten trying to save Manaka and his name, I think his name is Potage or something like that. There we uh, go. You got his name. I totally missed it this time. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't going to look for it. I wrote dog thing and then eventually they did say his name. So yeah, but, he looked yeah. like a dog panda with like a beetle back or something. Yeah, I was really <laughs> confused about this, but Goten and Trunks are trying to keep uh dog thing and Monaka safe as they're being chased. Uh, there's a moment where they're more or less kind of like pinned and all hope is lost. And that's where we get uh, Jocko and Vegeta showing up because Balma had told them to go get the boys back. And so they show up just in time to sort of save the day. There's a right. brief exchange between Vegeta and uh, these slime guys and Vegeta gets snuck up on by some slime and it absorbs his power and we get a Vegeta clone now and they, there's the Vegeta clone story arc I guess climax <laughs> yeah more or less I mean basically they ha- now had to fight this Vegeta clone who's as strong as Vegeta and has all his powers and Vegeta has none of his powers and the we we get Gotenks fighting him Gotenks goes Super Saiyan 3 can't hurt him and Goku shows up. He basically feels Goten's power. Uh, and now it is Goku's job to defeat this copy Vegeta before our real Vegeta's body disappears and he dies. And the best way to quickly win a fight is to start off in your base form and fight him for a long time that way to get warmed up. Oh, 
man, so many complaints about these episodes. <laughs> I mean, and we talked a little bit earlier off off the podcast about how uh, Super Saiyan Three Gotenks was fighting Copy Vegeta in base form and couldn't do anything to him, and that makes no sense to me whatsoever. Power either. levels are all over the place. I just don't care anymore. It's just it's... whatever the screen wants to show me is what it is. Yeah, it, <laughs> these episodes are some of the worst about that. They are some of the most egregious in power levels just all over the place yeah and so we get after some base form fighting both the vegeta clone and goku kick it up to super saiyan blue and i guess the the real fight begins um uh, but it's yeah. not it's not really a great real fight because we see them exchange a couple blows and mind you it's not animated very well so it's not like there's at least eye porn happening it's just really mediocre fight sequences Absolutely. I mean, the the character design for the copy of Vegeta looks terrible. This like awful gooey pink thing, and the one of the most frustrating parts about this is that they're they're teasing the audience with a rematch between Goku and Vegeta, and this is the worst possible rematch that they could deliver in so many ways. I mean, this should be. I guess the most direct comparison would be Majin Vegeta fighting Goku. And if yeah. you watch these two things side by side, you get got the Majin Vegeta fight with Goku was fantastic. It was one awesome. of the best fights in all of the the Buu saga. It was fantastic. Yeah. When you look fight. at this, it's just it's mostly just some punching sequences up in the air and some not very good looking key blast. That's pretty much the whole thing. Yeah, they they do not look good. There's not much in the way of good characterization here. Probably the, my favorite part about this whole sequence was. Vegeta, uh, real Vegeta being torn on who he should root for because he wants Goku to win so that he can get his powers back and so he can live, but he doesn't want copy Vegeta to lose to Goku because <laughs> Vegeta's proud and doesn't want to lose. Yeah, that proves that uh, Goku's stronger than him, and I, knowing Vegeta, he'd rather die than accept that reality. Yeah, he even says as much. <laughs> <laughs> I do agree, that was a good part. Yeah, that was probably my favorite part. That was the good part. Yeah, uh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So from there, we, I guess we figure out that, or uh, what's his name, Dog Thing, uh, remembers that if you destroy some crystal thing that was in one of the other clones, then that'll weaken all the current clones. And so there's a quest to go find that thing. Uh, Manaka accidentally steps on it, and it ends up sort of saving the day, which, you know, weakens copy vegeta enough for goku to win um vegeta do we want should we bring up the pacifier i mean might as well at this point <laughs> yeah uh apparently uh if to keep vegeta from disappearing or thanosing uh he has to suck on a pacifier and this is a real scene that happens in dragon ball and it just ugh, this is that exact type of humor that i absolutely despise in dragon ball super yeah super's humor it just pushes it too far. Some of it's too ridiculous. Some of it just is bad writing for the characters. And it's it's kind of like bad shock humor because, you know, seeing Vegeta with a pacifier is kind of ridiculous, right? Vegeta's a very serious character. Uh, but it's just, it's not funny. It's not entertaining. <laughs> the, the humor should be in line with the character. It's right. Vegeta rooting for copy him to beat Goku, even though he'll die, is very Vegeta. Like, that feels exactly. in character. That is good humor. Vegeta exactly. sucking on a pacifier, standing there all 
ornery on the side of a cliff is not very it's like ugh, i just don't like this yeah it was a little cringy um but they basically vegeta almost dies uh but they save him just in the nick of time and i think that pretty much wraps this up was there anything else that i'm missing there dayton uh i mean it's the fights one with a very generic kamehameha that's kind of cool yeah, it was pretty <laughs> generic. <laughs> um, I mean, as far as the Vegeta clone arc goes, um, that wraps that up. The only thing that I want to take a note of is at the very end of this episode, we get our the first part. little preview of... It looks like, I think it's pretty obvious, it's future Trunks running through just an absolutely destroyed city, and we sort of get the kind of the, the first clue as to where things are going. And I think everybody likes future Trunks, or at least you should. I love Future Trunks. I'm super excited for the next story arc that it's kind of alluding to here. So I'm glad we get a little bit of a taste of it. And uh, that kind of wipes the palate for me for those previous three episodes. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where this, I guess this part two that we're doing, it started out very strong. The first few episodes are great. They even do a decent job of tying everything up. You've got a nice little package of stories that all work really well together and then right. we get into filler territory and it all just falls apart and this is something that super has done a couple times now where their their filler is just really fillery Ugh. it's pretty rough i mean they they bring back peel off because it you know has a lighter tone they can use them for gags uh but and i i like peel off in dragon ball in the original dragon ball However, Dragon Ball Super's interpretation of Pilaf and how he should be used, I think you guys can tell that Dayton and I are not a big fan of that. Oh, yeah. I just, at this point, when I see Pilaf, I just write Pilaf gang in my notes and then just ignore everything that's happening. Yeah, it's usually not relevant. It's usually not important uh, unless you want kind of some cheap gags. And that's that's about it. But and my the, thing is, is there's already so many cheap gags in, in Dragon Ball Super that the Pilaf gang is just poor. It's it's too much you're pouring too much onto this thing i very much agree i'm i'm glad that we're getting out of that filler arc we basically the the universe six tournament uh as a whole i think uh has some really good pieces to it um some of the fights are a little bit lackluster they could have been better animated they could have had some better tactics uh but the the stuff with hit is great they they do a good job with showing that it's not always just the stronger person who wins the fight, that there are tactics involved, even though it's very strong too. Um, but he's, he's a challenge to overcome, not only because of his strength, but because of his techniques as well. Yeah. It's I, I always love a villain who's not just brute strength. There's a lot of brute strength in Dragon Ball and seeing somebody who kind of fits outside that box is always entertaining to watch. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if if you were going to go through and watch Dragon Ball Super, you could probably watch the Universe 6 arc. And honestly, you could skip those next five episodes and dive right into the Future Trunks arc, and you, you really wouldn't miss a thing. And I'm excited for the Future Trunks arc. I it is, mm, mm, I'll gush about that when we get there. <laughs> absolutely. I'm very pumped about that. Future Trunks is one of my favorite characters. It's and a badass so, character, and just uh, no, I, I can't get into it. We we should probably wrap this thing up because I'm going to start <laughs> just I'm going to go off on a tangent here in a minute. Oh, me too. Don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I think 
for the most part, I think that's going to wrap up this section with the Universe 6 arc kind of covered and those filler episodes behind us. Uh, Dayton, did you have anything else you wanted to discuss? I mean, and I just I just want to get the point across that the second half of this episode is probably going to be really negative, and that has a lot to do with just all the filler that we watch. Like, I, I still absolutely love Dragon Ball, and I still really, really like Dragon Ball Super. This was probably one of the lowest points in it, though, and it took part in the whole better half of one of our episodes, and it, it'll get better from here, I promise. Absolutely. And Dayton brings up a really good point. And uh, I should also probably apologize because we did do a little bit of ranting here. And I think really the reason why we're ranting about this, because this is probably, like Dayton said, the lowest point of Dragon Ball Super. The The copy Vegeta arc is probably the worst couple of episodes in the whole show. And Dayton and I are really passionate about Dragon Ball. We love Dragon Ball and we really don't want to see it brought to such a low point uh, between the writing and the animation. And so fortunately, I think the the next episode and the next story arc is really going to bring things up for us because we're both really excited to cover that. Absolutely. It's so good. I, I love Trunks in all forms, all stories. And uh, here we go, baby. Here we go. Here we go. So I think that's going to be it for this episode of Instant Transmission, where we discuss everything Dragon Ball. This has been your host, Todd. And Dayton. Be sure to join us next time as we travel through time to join one of my favorite characters in the Future Trunks arc, as we've been talking about for a little bit here now. (laughs) So we'll get to see exactly what horrible events have befallen our hero of time after the defeat of the androids. And that's it for tonight. So to all our fellow Dragon Ball fans, stay safe out there. And remember to keep rocking the dragon. Hey, does this thing have a muffin button?